If you'd like to listen ad-free, head to patreon.com slash drnosleep. There you can sign up for my seven-day free trial and get access to all my stories, including bonus episodes, completely ad-free. That's patreon.com slash drnosleep. Now time for the story. Talk to no sleep. Story one, the last house on Candy Cane Road. The house has been there for as long as I can remember standing tall against the test of time. Sure, it looked beaten up, ancient even, so much so that my friends and I have been fascinated by it. We even spent entire days hanging around inside smoking or drinking beer. The paint had been peeling off at an accelerated pace in the last few years, and when it all came down, I noticed there were scratch marks all over the interior walls. There were also faces scratched on those walls, Some were happy, some were sad, some were angry, and some were evil. Their wretched eyes staring deep into mine made me shiver with unease. The faces were chaotically contorted with either disgust, fear, or anguish that spread throughout the room, filling it with dread. It was a feeling of not belonging, of something out of this world, a plague that came here to haunt the living and twist their minds into dark despair. I stood still, in silence, the first time I saw them just watching and observing. All kinds of scenarios went through my head. Why were they there? Who painted them, and for what reason? Was it all just a joke, meant to play with the minds of those who laid eyes upon this grotesque imagery of hellish creatures? This house always had a bad reputation, The townsfolk warned the kids in town to stay away from it during the night because weird things happened there. But, of course, I had my reservations about that. Most of the time, it's just make-believe with these types of scary stories. The adults like to play games and blow things out of proportion to conceive a silly story. One of these stories is about the name of the house, or rather the name of the street it's located on. Candy Cane Road. The houses in that neighborhood are all new and inhabited by people with good reputations, respected, and well-known in our town. The old townsfolk say that a very long time ago, a few kids in town went trick-or-treating on a Halloween night. Of course, everyone told them not to go to that house after dark. Yet, they did go. They disobeyed what their parents told them no one ever found the kids. The only thing the search and rescue parties found was a candy cane smashed all over the street and lots of blood that adorned the candy. They looked at the house that stood like a menace in the dark, just watching them, observing them, and studying their every move. The wind shrieked in the hollow darkness, and some people said they could hear the children's cries tearing through the fabric of the night. The candy cane has always been associated with Christmas time, and so many people never understood why this particular type of candy had been found on a Halloween night. I can't imagine what it must have been for their parents, heartbroken, not knowing what happened to their children, and how they died that way, empty and alone, and without being able to say goodbye, they only buried cold and empty coffins. Maybe those drawings were made by the children before they vanished. 
or perhaps they were made by whatever or whoever killed them. Maybe it was a ritual murder, a sacrifice to old, demented, ravenous gods. I jumped when I felt a hand squeezing my shoulder. Whoa, whoa, easy there, buddy. What's gotten into you? Tommy asked. He has been my best friend since we were little kids. He was the brother that I never had. Nothing, man. Sorry. It's just these damn drawings. They are hypnotic. Scary little monster faces. Repulsive, don't you think? I asked him, beads of sweat coming down my temples. What? What are you talking about? The drawings on the wall, I said, turning to face the now blank wall. They were here just a second ago. The scratches and the monsters, Tommy. Dude, get off your trip. Did you smoke something before we got here? He said, inhaling air and coughing after. No, man, I said. My fingers began shaking and my knuckles hurt. It was as if small vices were placed on each knuckle and an invisible force squeezed tighter. I wondered if they would explode and imagined blood and bone jumping all over my face and on the walls. John, snap out of it. Let's drink a beer. Ah, shit, I forgot my cigarettes at home. Can you spare one, please? Tommy asked, wiping saliva from the right corner of his mouth. Stop lying, Tom. You rarely have cigarettes. You always ask either me, Kevin, or Joey over there, but they're too ashamed to say anything. So I think it's time to start buying your own, dude. Here, this is the last one, I said, reaching in my jacket side pocket for the back. I pulled two out, one for him and one for me. He placed it in his mouth. Well, if you're giving me shit to eat, at least give me a goddamn spoon to eat it with, he said, raising his hands in the air. I let out a sigh and lit a cig. Fuck you, Tommy. We both laughed it off and went to Kevin and Joey. They were already smoking, laughing, and belching from the cheap beer they had already downed. Guys, our boy Johnny over here said he saw monsters on the walls, my best friend said. He burst out in laughter. Joey laughed too. Kevin didn't. Well, I saw them too, Kev said, flicking his cigarette. What's there to laugh about? I didn't, said Joey, letting out the loudest burp I had ever heard. It was goddamn demonic. Well, the wall's empty. No paint, no drawings, nothing, Tommy said, puffing his freshly lit cigarette. And scratch marks too, I said, still thinking about the monstrous, contorted, and twisted devilish faces. The sunset was near, a fiery orange hue with a dash of bright pink and wavy yellow light colored the sky above. They intertwined, delivering an otherworldly spectacle. It was such a formidable sight. Top that with the light summer breeze and the rustling of leaves. And there it was, a perfect picture painted by Mother Nature herself. That was on the outside, lively and beautiful, a view that made up for a thousand words. Yet, inside the house, the silence was all too pressing. It was morbid even, and it felt like we were on the precipice of seeing things we were not supposed to see. It felt like being in a tomb. All right, let's head out. It's going to be night soon. We are not supposed to stay here after nightfall, said Kevin. We were heading out to the main entrance when it started happening. The scratches and the faces appeared again, 
It looked like spirits were just drawing them. Holy fucking shit, Joey said, frozen in place like a statue. What the fuck? The drawing got faster and louder. The scratching noises were unbearable, and we all covered our ears. What the hell is going on? I screamed, and before we all knew it, it got dark outside. Pitch black, a blanket of darkness sprinkled with tiny, shiny white dots. Hey, 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 hey. A choir of otherworldly voices called for us. We all turned and saw four children, just about our age, three boys and one girl. Their clothes were tattered and torn, and they looked to be in the worst shape of their lives. Each of them was standing in front of each of us. Then they all placed one finger against their lips, as if instructing us to stay silent. Don't move, don't speak. Try to breathe as little as possible. He can't see you, he can only hear you. It won't be long now, one of them said. His neck was swollen and bruised. Another boy had his neck cut open from side to side, yet he was still alive. The girl was white as a sheet, and her eyes were gray and sad. When she spoke, I could hear her choking faintly, like she had water in her throat. The last boy had blood coming out from his temple, and it became thick as it stopped running. Then I remembered what the townsfolk said. I remembered why it was called Candy Cane Road. I remembered everything. The story, the missing children. It was true after all. Everything was true. I was all choking up, trying so hard not to shed tears. The kids came even closer to us. Here, this will hide you from him, the girl said. Then she gently touched the bleeding temple of the other boy. She rubbed the blood against each of our foreheads, and I felt the heavy liquid sticking to the center. I looked at her, and she saw me. It's okay, don't cry, it's okay. He can't even smell you if you wear this. He doesn't like dead flesh and blood. He likes it young and fresh, that evil bastard. I was too terrified to talk. I tried, I really did, but I was choking up so bad before I could even say a single damn word. The boy with the slit throat came forward. Please, I'm begging you, do not look at him. Just close your eyes when you hear the scream, okay? He said, whispering as if he had no vocal cords left. There is something that we need to ask you if you can help us. We need to rest. We've been here for so long and we need to go home. He pointed up to the sky. You need to get someone to burn the house down. A priest or someone holy. He needs to soak it in gasoline and strike the match. <laughs> burn it to the ground, said the boy with the bruised neck, coughing heavily at the end. The boy with the bloody temple patted him on the back. It's okay, it's okay. Then he turned back to us. The owner of the house is the one who's coming here right now. He sensed something was moving inside and he's coming back in a few moments. He was so evil in his lifetime and continued to be the same even in death. You'll be okay, I promise, but you need to help us, please. We need to be buried so we can rest. I'm at the bottom of the lake behind the woods. The girl with gray eyes said as she coughed up mud. I'm under the big oak tree in the woods. The boy with the swollen, bruised neck said faintly. The rope is there too. 
I'm under the big concrete block east of the house. He made me hold the knife after I died, the boy with the slit throat said, covering the wound. And I'm under the house. Please get me out, please. He put the knife in my pocket, he said, touching his temple. It's cold and lonely there. The wave of revelations hit me so hard, and I didn't know what having a heart attack felt like, but I thought I was about to have one. Then a ruthless scream filled the night. It was haunting, devilish, and evil. Steps came towards us from the woods frantically. No matter what you hear, do not open your eyes and do not move, they all said together. We closed our eyes and waited. The steps became louder and the man got closer. I heard him bursting in through the back door and he just (laughs) laughed. There you are, he screamed like a madman. My heart stopped. I thought this was the end. If he had seen us, then it was too late to run. Then I heard the sound of someone or something cutting flesh. Then the sound of someone choking. The girl screamed, then a big splash followed. Then I heard screams again as she came back to the surface. Then her screams were underwater, then silence. Then I heard a whoosh through the air and the violent sound of metal against bone. The bone cracked and I could feel bile rising in the back of my throat. In the end, another choking sound. The cries for help and pleadings for the man to stop were in vain. And then a popping sound like a can had been opened. Got you, you bastards! The man shouted, then silence again. We stood there a few more minutes, then opened our eyes. Nothing. It was like nothing had happened. Then we turned around. The scratching and monster faces on the walls had vanished too. I think the monsters represented the way they had seen the man. I was glad that we didn't get to see him, but those sounds will forever be tattooed in the back of my mind. I still wake up screaming in the middle of the night. I think the children chose to sacrifice themselves again and again whenever someone was in the house at night. It was the greatest act of bravery I had ever witnessed in my life. The following day, the search parties found their remains and the kids got a proper burial. They had found them all, and they were all exactly as they said they would be. After the funeral finished, Father Barnes went to the house and soaked it in gasoline. Then he started praying for a few minutes. Finally, he set it ablaze. The fire was howling as if someone's dirty and rotten soul was burning, and its last embers were carried away by the wind. Now, There was nothing but a pile of ash left. The last house on Candy Cane Road was gone. Story two. A weird family bought the house across the street from me. Something's very wrong with them. The empty house, that's what we called it. With each passing day, the house decayed more. It looked like everyone rejected it, not wanting to move in. It was dying of loneliness and didn't have a loving family to take care of it. But that changed a few weeks ago. The cleaning and renovating crews came in first. Then, the interior design team. The furniture looked expensive and old, ancient even. It was the kind I had seen in old black and white horror movies. The one the mysterious old man had in his solitary castle. As the days passed, The house came back to life, little by little. 
as if waking up from a deep slumber. It was blooming back to its original beauty. I watched the process of revival almost every day, fascinated by how the house was changing. It was something that I had never seen before. I found it fascinating how a group of people with different jobs could make an old house beautiful again. Yet, I never saw the family who moved there. So I thought that when you pay for expensive goods and services like these, at least one family member must go and see if everything is all right and going as planned. But no one ever came. My dad was on the porch. He read the newspaper and drank his coffee. Hey dad, do you know who's moving in? I asked him, peering out at him from inside the house. No idea, son. Suppose it's a rich family. Heard they paid a fortune for all the work done to that house. Guess it's not that empty now, is it? He said, chuckling. Yeah, guess so. But you haven't seen them around, have you? I saw a bald guy. He wore a black suit and carried a briefcase. Maybe he was someone from the family? He was an odd-looking duck, let me tell you. No facial hair, either. He looked like one of the people you see in videos about conspiracy theories, Dad said, raising an eyebrow. He sipped on some coffee and returned to reading the paper. Something's off about this whole thing, Dad. I can feel it. Don't know what, but it feels creepy. Dad shrugged and returned to reading the paper. I went back inside the house. I didn't know why, but a cold shiver came creeping up my spine. I shrugged it off and got to reading the last issue of my favorite comic book. I got lost in reading for many hours. Then, finally, I lifted my head and saw that it had gotten dark outside. Mom called me downstairs to dinner. Before I went, I looked out the window and, for the first time, I saw the lights turned on in the empty house. Then a silhouette passed by running in front of the window. It was that of a small boy. I went into the kitchen and told my dad the neighbors had arrived. Do you think we should go and say hello? I asked my parents and motioned to the house across the street. There was no car and, most of all, no sign of how they had arrived or when. I mean, I still have some apple pie in the fridge. I could put some in a plastic container, and we can go if you want, honey, Mom said, draining the pasta in the sink. We had bolognese that night, one of my favorite dishes, and Mom was the best cook I had ever seen in my life. The aroma still lingered in the kitchen and slowly spread throughout the house. I was already at the door, waiting to go and say hello to our new neighbors. We arrived on their front porch, and I rang the doorbell. A thin, tall lady opened the door. She wore a white apron stained with red droplets. I thought she probably had an unfortunate kitchen accident while cooking. This had happened to my mom too. Things like squeezing too hard on the ketchup bottle and spreading it everywhere or staying too close to the sauces while stirring. Hi there, we are the Buchanans. We live right across the street from you. We just wanted to bring you some pie and welcome you to the neighborhood. My mom said, honestly excited to meet the new neighbors. The woman glanced back. She looked uneased, not scared, only startled. She began biting on her nails. 
there was a faint clicking noise somewhere in the house. I didn't know if they were eating or if it was something else. Hello, we're the Millers. Sorry, but now is not the right time for a visit. We had just arrived and we are so tired. We are heading to bed, you see. It's been a long day for us. We traveled a great distance to come here, she said, constantly looking back and forth. A sharp, metallic odor started coming out of the house. It was intoxicating, nauseating, and I felt sick to my stomach. It smelled like rotten stew or something like that. I looked at both my parents' faces, and their eyes said it all. They felt it too, but tried to act cool about it. Oh, we're sorry. We're going to leave now. We don't want to intrude. Here, take this and come by our house when you're feeling better. My mom said apologetically, handing the lady the apple pie. Who is it, mom? A kid asked, coughing. I heard footsteps running and approaching the door. A pale boy with hair as black as the night appeared from behind the woman. He looked at me as if I was the strangest thing he had ever seen. His big black eyes studied my every movement from head to toe. A sense of unease came creeping down my spine and I shivered when looking at him. His fingers were all dirty, and he had what I thought to be dirt under his fingernails. Why would he have had such dirty hands if the whole family was going to sleep? Richard, honey, why aren't you in bed, sweetie? She asked the pale boy, patting him on the head. He never broke his gaze on me. He just watched me with empty eyes, as empty as the house was before they arrived. Then, out of nowhere, He lunged and grabbed my arm, squeezing tighter and pushing his nails in my skin until it parted. It hurt like hell and blood came out, even though it was only in tiny droplets. Do you want to be my friend? He asked me, tilting his head. I backed away and felt sick to my gut. Something was wrong with that kid and a strange sensation came over me. It was as if my blood suddenly boiled inside my veins and my heart raced inside my chest. Hey lady, what's gotten into him? We just came here to say hello and your kid attacks my boy. My dad stepped in angrily. Richard is feeling sick. He hasn't been eating well these past few days. I apologize. Richard, honey, can you say you're sorry please? For mama, sweetie? The strange woman asked her son. The pale boy just ran away, not saying anything. We'd better leave. Come on, let's go, my dad said. It's okay, Pops, I'm all right, I told him, trying to calm him down a bit. I could feel a massive tension in the air, and even though I was not feeling well, I had to try and calm everyone down. After we got home, my mom got my small wounds all cleaned up. Serves us right for trying to be welcoming in this goddamn neighborhood, Sue. Damn, those people give me the creeps. I wonder if there's a man in the house, or if it's just the two of them. My father trailed off. I think I'm gonna go to bed. Ain't feeling really well. That kid was off, wasn't he? Rather peculiar, I said faintly to my parents. Sorry about that, Nick. Didn't expect them to be that off, my mom said, gesturing with her hands. I went upstairs to my room with a big, fat headache. I felt my body temperature was going down like I was freezing, or maybe hypothermia was kicking in. It took me a long while to fall asleep, 
Cold shivers alternated with hot, feverish episodes, and I twisted and turned on all sides of the bed until I fell asleep. I had nightmares, but I don't remember what I had dreamt. All I knew was it was a dark dream. I felt the temperature in the room drop a few degrees, and it got colder as the seconds passed by, and I was half asleep. I had gotten thirsty all of a sudden. I fully woke up, only to realize I was not in my room anymore, but in some kind of attic. And from then on, my life changed forever. The room was dark, and all I heard were some squishing noises and heavy breathing and snarling. You didn't answer my question, the voice said from the dark. I felt a myriad of negative emotions in my heart. Then I caught a glimpse of a small, hunched figure. It was drinking some thick liquid from a jar, drinking and gulping like it was the thirstiest beast alive. Its eyes gleamed in the dark, and the brittle beast fixated on me. It snarled again and threw the jar on the floor. Then it came out of the darkness and into the shining moonlight and made its way shyly through the attic window. The horror that stood beside me looked at me as if I was merely prey. The beast resembled the kid, but he had changed. He had morphed into something primal, into his true self. The thick crimson liquid covered his razor sharp teeth and his lips too. He shrieked as he jumped on me. The brittle beast had superhuman strength and it pinned me down to the ground in an instant. I brought you here so we can be friends, but you see, I can only go out at night. The beast said, his voice sharp. It made a terrible ringing in my head. And you will only go out at night too. He sunk his teeth into my throat and I felt the blood leaving my body. Life left my body too. I wasn't human anymore. The beast had changed me. Please stop, I told him and felt tears streaming down my face. You are too weak and you are not worthy of this precious gift I'm giving you. The monster hissed. Then it took me by my neck and threw me out the window with one hand. Splinters and shards of glass accompanied me on my trip to the soil outside. I could feel myself changing and I felt new teeth coming out, replacing the old. I could see more colors floating in the night. My senses sharpened, and I could hear a thousand heartbeats coming from a million miles away. I started with small animals, but their blood could satiate my hunger only for so long. I had to survive. I had to live, even if I was dead. I had to feed. I needed fresh blood. My parents must have been heartbroken. I visited them a couple of times during the night and watched them sleep. I left them a note saying I'm sorry I went away. I didn't want them to know the monster I had become. I decided not to visit them any longer. I could barely contain myself and not feed on them while inside the house. God only knows where this life might lead me if you can call this a life. Story three, Frankie Fiend's Funhouse. I have lived in this town for the majority of my life. My family moved here when I was only five years old. Mom and dad came here in search of a better life. Mom worked as an accountant. Pops worked for a big company that wanted to make the city livelier 
and so they decided to build a shopping mall and a few other attractions. One of those other attractions was Frankie Fiend's Funhouse. It was a haunted house type of attraction meant to give kids the scare of their lives. It had ugly demons that jumped on you out of nowhere. It had skeletons falling from the ceiling. It had witches laughing and grabbing your foot while you passed by. It had furry werewolves who ate fake plastic meat. My favorite was the Hell Ride Carousel. It was a mini carousel meant to take you to the depths of hell where all horrors were unleashed upon your body and mind. It was fun, and a friend of mine pissed his pants there one time. But there was another thing, the secret bloody room. That's what they called it. It was supposedly something that very few people had known. It was more like a game inside. You had to play and win big prizes, big money prizes. Although I knew the fun house inside and out, I didn't find out about the secret bloody room until I was 15. The thing is that it had pissed me off a little, not knowing about it, I mean. I had beaten every game in that house and not for a second did I know about the secret bloody room. My friends and I really loved going there. It was entertaining. One night, when we were about to enter the house, we were greeted by a rather peculiar individual. Hey there, kiddos, the man exclaimed, bowing to us as if we were kings. My name is Frankie, Frankie Fiend at your disposal, and this is my house. I have seen you quite a lot here. You must really like it, huh? I stared at him. He wore a white mask, the kind you see in those horror movies with strange cults. He also wore white gloves and a black suit, and none of his skin showed. Yeah, I guess. We like hanging around here, I said, still inspecting his odd outfit. He then pulled a stack of money from his pocket. Well, I'm happy to hear that. A little birdie told me you would like to go and see a certain room. Is that so? He asked, kneeling in front of us to be at approximately the same height as us. Is that so? Yeah. Oh man, can you take us inside? My friend Donnie asked, his eyes all big and filled with excitement. Yeah, of course I can. It's my house after all. Frankie Fiend <laughs> said, clapping his hands and laughing. Look here, I will give you each $100 as a prize for being so brave. Come on, let us waste no more time. We went inside and took an elevator to the basement from his bland office. Upon descending, I realized that we trusted a stranger to lead us to an unknown place. How the hell did we know that this was the real Frankie or not? We hadn't even seen him once in real life, let alone without a mask. The elevator finally finished its descent. We were now facing a bright red door. Frankie took an ancient key out of his pocket and inserted it in the golden knob. I heard it unlock and we all looked in awe, our hearts bursting out of our chests as the suspense was killing us. Okay, are you ready boys? Frankie Fiend asked. Yes, we are, we replied in a choir. He turned the knob to the left and pushed the door open. But what was inside that room left us speechless and unable to cope with the view. There were countless cages and glass jars and old books inside. 
In those cages, there were creatures that neither of us had ever seen before. I don't think they were even known to man as legends because I had never read anything about them. And I used to read a lot back then. I saw what resembled a Wendigo in one of the cages, except it could speak. He asked Frankie to let it go, but Frankie just shook his head. On one side, there was a small glass pool and a creature with three tails and three heads swam around, constantly hitting the glass. It was all covered with scales and spat a green liquid that seemed very acidic. In those jars, Frankie had different small fossils and bones and skulls. There was a colossal bat skeleton. I thought it was prehistoric or something like that, except it had horns and fangs. Frankie took his mask off. Underneath, he wasn't a human being. We were frightened at this point for our lives and sanity. He had green skin and scales. His tongue was split at the top, just like that of a snake. His eyes were yellow and he blinked vertically. Don't be scared of me. I didn't choose to be like this, kids. What I did choose was to fight and kill these things that threaten the balance of the world. They squirm about under the earth and wait silently in the woods and mountains to attack. They want to destroy this world, take hold of it and make it their own. I was like you once, you know, a human, he said, sighing. What, what happened? I finally mustered the courage to ask him. One of these things bit me deep down in the jungle. We were on a mission and all my colleagues were murdered violently and eaten right in front of me. They wanted to make an example out of me and sent me home with this curse in my veins, he replied, squeezing his hands harder and harder with anger. What things? Donnie asked. The lizard people of the jungle. They live in the darkness, waiting for us to cross their path. They made me eat something, I don't know what. I turned into this overnight I have been trying to find them ever since, but with no success, Frankie said, his voice cracking. I had a wife and two beautiful kids. You remind me of them. That's why I invited you here, he said. You were the first humans I let in here. But why, I asked. I am getting old and I need to pass the torch. In 10 years or so, I will be nothing but bones and dust. Here, drink this. You'll see the world clearer, he said, taking a vial of green liquid out of his interior pocket. We all drank the liquid and started hearing faraway voices. Our senses all sharpened. I took a few steps back and got too close to the Wendigo-like creature's cage. It managed to scratch me, but in the blink of an eye, I turned and ripped its arm off. Blood gushed out and soaked me in red. I felt like I had been transformed, mutated into something new. Frankie smiled. It's been 20 years since Frankie died and the five of us are still together trying to keep things at bay. We call ourselves Frankie's five in his memory to remember him. My favorite of his words is, Death to all that's wicked. Thanks for listening.
If you enjoyed this story, please take a second to leave a rating for the podcast. This greatly helps other horror fans find my podcast as well. Thank you so much.